0: Thing is, we've been talking on Daniel. Apparently, that church didn't go through the book of Daniel because, uh, had they done so, they would understand or believe in the sovereignty of God. But anyway, uh, we're in Daniel chapter 7. We're looking at the first vision uh, in chapter 7. We just started last week in the first few verses. And in fact, Daniel chapter 7, verses 1 and 3, say again In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream. And visions in his mind as he lay on his bed then he wrote the dream down and related the following summary of it Daniel said I was looking in my vision by night and behold the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea and four great beasts were coming up from the sea different from one another and we wondered what what that verse 3 was all about and we saw that verse 17 interprets it for us which is a great thing it says in verse 17 these great beasts which are four in number are four kings will arise from the earth. So, that's a big help right there. It's a good example of the Bible interpreting itself, by the way, which happens often. So, we're going to continue tonight in verses 4 through 8 and look at the four beasts that are mentioned here. See their origin, they their kings that arise from the earth. Now, what about their description? Uh, We'll see that in verses 4 to 8. Let's read verses verses 3 through 8. Four great beasts were coming up from the sea different from one another. The first was like a lion and had the wings of an eagle. I kept looking until its wings were plucked and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man a human mind also was given to it and behold another beast a second one resembling a bear and it was raised up on one side and three ribs were in its mouth between its teeth and thus they said to it arise devour much meat after this I kept looking and behold another one like a leopard which had on its back four wings of a bird the beast also had four heads and dominion was given to it after this I kept looking in the night visions and behold a fourth beast dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong and it had large iron teeth it devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet and it was different from all the beasts that were before it and it had ten horns while I was contemplating the horns behold another horn a little one came up among them and three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it and behold this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth uttering great boast. So you can see the description that's given here. The first thing you need to notice about this is that the words of comparison that are used, and notice this in Revelation also when Mike is speaking on Sunday morning. Look at uh, verse 4. It says here, the first was what? Like a lion, right? That's a word of comparison. Verse 5 says, another beast, the second one resembling a bear. Like a bear. And verse 6, after this, I kept looking to behold another one like a leopard. Those words are emphasize that these are symbols, these beasts of something else. And this is how, when Daniel saw in his vision, this is how they appeared to him. Looked like a leopard to him, or like a like a bear, or like a lion. That's how he saw it. And, it, and they're symbolic. And so we're saying, as we we talked about last week, that the first, these four beasts are based on the pattern of of the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had in Daniel chapter two. That these are the four kingdoms. Same four kingdoms found in chapter two, and the fifth kingdom was the kingdom of God, of course. Same thing in chapter seven. So we're saying, based on that pattern, it's the same, same, uh, uh, the same kingdoms here. We read this quote last week. Virtually everyone agrees that the vision of chapter seven parallels the dream image of chapter two, and that, that's not the only reason we say these are the four. These four beasts are uh, Babylon, Media, Persia, Greece, and Rome. It's also because uh, the scripture. Uh, likens uh, Bab- likens the first one, in verse 4, the lion, to, to Babylon. It likens Babylon to a lion and to an eagle. Did you know that? Look over in Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 5. And Babylon, especially Nebuchadnezzar, is likened to a, uh, oftentimes, oftentimes the uh, kingdom of Babylon represented by Nebuchadnezzar, likened to a lion. Jeremiah chapter 4, verses 5 to 7. And it says there, Declare in Judah and proclaim in Jerusalem, saying, Blow the trumpet in the land. Cry aloud and say, Assemble yourselves and let us go into the fortified cities. Lift up a standard toward Zion. Seek refuge do not stand still. For I am bringing, God is bringing an evil from the north. What evil and a great destruction. A lion has gone up from his thicket. And a destroyer of nations has set out. He has gone out from his place to make your land a waste. Your cities will be ruins without inhabitants. God says, I'm going to bring a lion out to destroy you, Judah and Jerusalem. What's he talking about, a lion? Well, look at Jeremiah chapter 50. Jeremiah 50, verses 17 and 18. And he says here, he says, Israel is a scattered flock. The lions, plural, the lions have driven them away. The first one who devoured him was the king of Assyria. Assyria took the northern kingdom. You remember it was a divided kingdom, Israel was? And Assyria came in 722 B.C. and they took the northern kingdom away and and devoured them. That was the first lion. It says in verse 17, this last one, this last lion, which has broken his bones, is who? Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So Nebuchadnezzar is, is likened unto uh, a lion here and that Babylon is likened unto a lion and so when Daniel says in Daniel 7 verse 4 the first was like a lion we say that he's talking about Babylon furthermore Babylon is compared to an eagle uh, because this lion in Daniel 7 4 has the wings of an eagle it says uh, look at Ezekiel chapter which is one book back from Daniel Ezekiel chapter 17 Ezekiel 17 verses 1 to 5 You have a a parable here, a riddle, and it says here uh, in 17.1, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, propound a riddle, and speak a parable to the house of Israel, saying, here's the parable, Thus says the Lord God, A great eagle with great wings, long pinions, and a full plumage of many colors came to Lebanon and took away the top of the cedar. He plucked off the topmost of its young twigs and brought it to a land of merchants. He set it in a city of traders. He also took some of the seed of the land and planted it in a fertile soil. He placed it besides abundant waters. He set it like a willow. Look at verses 12 to 14 for the interpretation. got to love it. Here's the scripture interpreting itself again. Verse 12, Say now to the rebellious house, that's, that's Judah, do you not know what these things mean? Say, behold, the king of Babylon came to Jerusalem, took its king and princes and brought them to him to Babylon, in Babylon. He took one of the royal family, and made a covenant with him, putting him under the oath. He also took away the mighty of the land. Remember, Daniel and his friends were taken. Some of the royalty of, uh, of Judah. He took away some of the mighty, uh, the mighty of the land, that the kingdom might be in subjection, not exalting itself, but keeping his covenant that it might continue. So you can see that, that uh, not only is Babylon likened unto a lion, but it's likened unto an eagle as well. And so Daniel four 6, uh, Daniel seven four says, the first was like a lion and had the wings of an eagle. But furthermore, do you know that in archaeology, they've uncovered uh, the fact that uh, there, were, there were several statues of winged lions that were representative of the Empire of Babylon, and that the, the famous Ishtar Gate in Babylon was covered with lions like that. And so we see that these things, these, this information tells us that Babylon is the first kingdom, we believe. And it says in, in Daniel 7.4, Daniel said, I kept looking until its wings were plucked. What's he talking about? Well, I don't know if this is definite, but everybody seems to think it is, that it's talking about when Nebuchadnezzar was humbled. Remember that in Daniel chapter 4? Nebuchadnezzar was humbled by God, and he had to go act like an animal in the, in the, uh, out there for seven years, and his, its wings were plucked, would refer to his insanity, his loss of power, his humiliation, those kind of things. And so uh, most think that that's what it is. And then when it says in, in Daniel 7, 4, it was lifted up from the ground, made to stand on two feet like a, a man, a human mind was given to it. That's his restoration to, to power uh, after that humiliating experience. And then he began to practice a humanitarian form of government after that. Before that, Nebuchadnezzar had issues going on, but after that, he was humanitarian. So we say that Daniel 7 4 represents Babylon. That's the first beast. The second beast is in verse 5. It says, Behold, another beast, a second one, resembling a bear. It was raised up on one side, and three ribs were in its mouth between its teeth, and, they, and thus they said to it, Arise, devour much meat. Well, you know, in sequence, and that word, uh, the, sec- the word second there has got to do with sequence, uh, the second uh, empire that followed Babylon was Medo-Persia, as we've said many times already. And uh, the bear was an accurate symbol of that kingdom because it was ferocious, and it was noted for its great size and fierceness and what they did. And, and we said many times that Medo-Persia had the greatest empire in land and land up to that point. And so, and, and it was kind of, you know, uh, it was a bear is not as glorious as a lion. It's kind of ungainly and awkward, the way it walks and all. And in the same way Medo-Persia was not as glorious, although it was bigger, I think, than, yeah, it was bigger, than Babylon, but not as glorious as Babylon. And so we say the second beast is Medo-Persia. And it says it was raised up on one side, probably meaning that Media Persia you have Media/Persia. slash Persia. Persia was became came, became prominent over Media. Became, it had the upper hand over Media, became the, the greater of the two. Look at Daniel chapter 8 verse 3. Daniel 8:3 talks about Media Persia. Look at verse 3 and verse 20. 8:3 says, "Then I lifted up my eyes and behold and looked and behold a ram which had two horns." Now, you'll well let's look at this. A ram had two horns was standing in front of the canal now the two horns were long, one was longer than the other, which the longer one, with the longer one coming up last. Verse 20. The ram which you saw with the two horns represents the kings of Media and Persia. <laughs> you know, don't, don't look for the fantastic interpretation all the time when the Bible tells you exactly what it is, you know. So you have the the, the second horn coming up, which is greater than the first, which is Persia. Persia came to a, a position of prominence in that empire. And then in Daniel 7:5, it says that. It was raised up on one side, and three ribs were in its mouth between its teeth, which represents the conquest of that empire. And as we said before, Media Persia had the vast empire up to that time. And someone says here, and we don't know who, arise and devour much meat. And and that's what they did. They subdued many nations in the world, Media Persia did. So we take the second beast to be Media Persia. The third beast, verse 6. After this, I kept looking, and behold another one like a leopard, which had on its four back on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. Remember, Daniel's seeing this in his vision. He's trying to describe this to us, and this is what it appears to him to be like. Like a leopard. It's not like that. It's all some kinds of weird things all the time. This is how Daniel sees this. And so it says here that uh, first of all, in verse six, after this, after the second beast, now there's a third beast following. Uh, another indication that this is in sequence. And he says here, this beast was like a leopard. And had four wings on its back, uh, four heads. And, you know, I read about, I got you know, it's funny when you study the Bible, you start studying all kinds of crazy stuff. I started looking at about leopards. And I become a zoologist and a biologist and a botanist and everything else studying the Bible. So um, I know a little bit about everything, but that makes me dangerous probably. Um, but they say that two outstanding characteristics of a leopard are, are speed, number one, and then his desire for, uh, his lust for blood to kill. And, to, and, and, and for uh, for food, and you know I read the leopard can move up to 36 miles an hour. I mean that's very fast. And so this empire is represented by uh, is represented by uh, by a leopard, and a leopard wants to just chase down anything and kill it, whatever it is. It doesn't care, you know. It goes after everything apparently, hunt it down and catch it and kill it. And it and it says here the leopard had four wings of a bird on it. You already have a fast leopard moving very fast. Now you have like a flying leopard moving even faster. And so the leopard here represents Greece, which is the third kingdom, which is very accurate depiction because Greece was like lightning fast, moving across the world, establishing their empire. Um, I think in 334 BC, they, Alexander the Great invaded Asia Minor and just took off for the next 10 years, conquered the known world at that time, took over everything Media Persia had up to India, just conquered everything in sight, quickly, fast. In ten years at that time, and and then when he when he finished, I think he was 32 years old, and the, and the legend says he wept because he had no more worlds to conquer. I mean, this is the kind of guy this was, who just had a desire just to conquer. Now he didn't do it he didn't do it in a crushing manner, but in a fast, a lightning fast manner. And so he's represented by a leopard here. It's interesting in verse six. It says uh, after this uh, you've got the leopard which had four wings on his back, four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads. Four heads and dominion was given to it, and we can see in in Scripture that the word head represents rulers. Look at Daniel chapter two verse thirty-eight, for example. It says this in other places too. Daniel two thirty-eight, when uh, Daniel is interpreting this dream for Nebuchadnezzar, you can see how all this ties together in Daniel verse thirty-eight. Wherever the sons of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, or the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand, Nebuchadnezzar, cause you to rule over them all. You are the head. Of gold and head here represents rulers and it's a well-known fact and established in history that when Nebuchadnezzar oh, not Nebuchadnezzar boy I got him on my brain when uh, Alexander the Great died later on eventually that uh, Kingdom of Greece was divided into four parts given to his four generals that took over that and it's believed that the four heads here are the four different generals who ruled four parts of the Grecian Empire And uh, that's an interesting story in itself, by the way, if you're interested in history. And that's also confirmed in chapter 8. But the four heads, so the four heads and the four generals who took over from Alexander were given dominion. Dominion was given to it. They became, they were in charge after Alexander the Great. That's the first three beasts. Look at the fourth beast in verses 7 and 8. After this, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong, It had large large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. While I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, came up from among them, and three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. Behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth uttering great boast. Before I go on to this fourth empire, I want to look back at something real quick. The first three beasts... uh, are, they're very interesting when you put them together. They were, those beasts, leopard, bear, and lion were well known in Palestine. It was, it was commonplace and uh, they represent Babylonian, media persian Grecian empires as we saw. But there's a very interesting verse in Revelation. Look at Revelation 13, 1 and 2. And Mike will get to this eventually and I'm trying not to say things that are going to be in <laughs> confrontation with what you're saying here. Hopefully they're going to match up perfectly. Um, And, uh, you know, we're probably going to crisscross on some of this stuff. But I'm going to try to keep as much as I can out of the Revelation, only here and there. I shouldn't even say that probably, but let him deal with that. But look at Revelation 13, 1 and 2. The dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. Look at the three beasts in verse 2. And the beast which I saw was like a what? Like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him, gave him his power and his throne and great authority. Without going into a lot of detail, I'll let him cover this in Revelation 13, but the, the beast John is describing represents the restored Roman Empire at the end times, which is opposed to God. Um, but notice what the empire resembles. It's like a leopard, like a bear, the mouth of a lion, just like Daniel 7, 4 to 6. Same type thing. And the beast, though it's different from others before, nevertheless has those the characteristics of those three kingdoms. Let me quote Robert Thomas on this one, right? Robert Thomas says about this, The combined strength and brutality of historical Babylon, Medio persia and Greece is what will comprise the total character of this beast in Revelation. Rome had, and in its restored form will have, the agility, the cat-like vigilance and craft, and fierce cruelty of a leopard, the feet of a bear to crush your enemies, and the roar of a lion. This is what the saints will face in the last days. I think it's very interesting to, to, to see that uh, match up with Revelation 13 and Daniel chapter 7. And i got—I got to interject here that, and, you know, I was studying this all week and I was like, this is very difficult, honestly. It really is, and um, I, I don't want you to think that we have a corner here on the truth when it comes to eschatology that we get up and say a bunch of dogmatic statements and that we think we're always right on everything. I don't think that. I don't, I don't. I know Mike doesn't think that. What I'm giving you here is a traditional pre-millennial conservative view of eschatology of end times prophecy. Okay, that's what I'm giving you here, and I certainly don't understand everything. And what we do here is based on a grammatical historical interpretation. In other words. We take this, the words of Scripture as they as they are in their plain, normal, literal sense, unless there's something going on here that would tell us otherwise, right? Uh, and, you know, and the Bible includes, uh, you know, we see it in its context, and we want to interpret it in its context, right? We don't want to take it out of its context. We want to see it for what it says in its context. It's like you can look in the newspaper and you can say about an article, well, so and so said this. You can pull a sentence out of the of the of the context of the article and say, so and so said this. But you better make sure when you read that article, you read it in its context. And that that person said, what he said was at, is, is accurate according to the context. And the scripture, people take things out of context constantly. This is, a, this is huge in interpretation, that you should always read the Bible in its context, constantly. Study it that way. I'll give you the, the most famous example of all. People say, money is the root of all evil. Is that true? Is money the root of all evil? Money in and of itself is the root of all evil. But what does the scripture say? It says what? It says the love of money is the root of all evil, right? So money is is immaterial. Money is neither good or bad in and of itself. Money is something we use. It's your attitude towards money. If you love money, then you got a problem, according to the scriptures. So that's taking it out of, a statement out of context. But in the Bible, there's understand when you have the plain, we talk about literal interpretation. It may not be the best word. We have, we have metaphors in the Bible and similes and all these kind of things going on like we just saw here in Daniel chapter 7 and it's true with the Bible as, it, as with any other literature, however unlike other literature the word of God is inspired, right? It's different in that sense but we can't spiritualize the scripture, we can't allegorize it we can't let our imagination run wild, we've got to, we've got to go according to what the context says and what the, the scripture says according to its grammar and its history and all those kind of things Sometimes you can't be dogmatic. I think Ryan said that this morning in Sunday school, and I think Mike said the same thing in church. And I'm telling you the same thing tonight because sometimes it's very difficult, like in Daniel, that you, you, because what we're saying right now, God may say, "Wait a minute, I got a little different plan than you just said." <laughs> you know, so I don't want to give you or mislead you. I want you to understand we need to be very careful with this. And I want to say this also. Um, that this is not a test of orthodoxy whether a person is a believer or not because he holds supreme millennialism as opposed to something else. If someone else has a different view on end time prophecy, you know, don't break fellowship with a guy over it. You know, understand there's going to be differences. However, what we're doing is we're interpreting according to the the way things are in the Scripture in its context, according to its grammar, right? And and that's why we come up with the interpretation we do. We're trying to be the controls of scripture itself control our interpretation. And that's the way you want to do it too. Well, go to verse 7. We've talked about the first three beasts. And uh, we have here the, f- the fourth beast. This is not named. This beast isn't likened to a leopard or a bear or a, a, a lion or anything like that. Uh, I want to keep saying lions and tigers and bears, but I guess that's not going to be what I should say, right? But look at the description here in verse 7. It's dreadful and terrifying. Which two words are close to identify that this is? It speaks of obviously fearfulness, a fearful beast. It was frightening to look at when Daniel saw it; very frightening to him. It says here it's extremely strong. That's self-explanatory. It had large iron teeth, and these could be easily seen—teeth made of made of iron, from what Daniel could see. And uh, you know, the uh, the fourth beast in, in Daniel 2 was had legs of iron, right? Which is the Roman Empire. Um, it says here, it devoured and uh, it crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet. Um, these are words of fierceness. It devoured its prey with its iron teeth. It crushed, in other words, it shattered or broken pieces, uh, its prey. It trampled uh, any, any fragment of its victims that was left, it trampled to death uh, under its feet. So this is a ferocious beast, an intimidating beast, a, a fear-inspiring beast, something that's scary. And it's different from all the beasts before it, it says. How, how would that be? Well, Romans 13 tells us that it's a composite, this beast is a composite of the first three beasts before right? The, the three uh, Babylon, Greece, Media, persian and Greece. And uh, also, the description of this beast is more frightful than any of the other beasts that were mentioned. This is the beast that Daniel's going to major on in this chapter. And it seems to be bigger and stronger than the rest of the beast, and it is. Um, it's got ten horns. Uh, according to verse uh, 7. And horns typically symbolize kings or kingdoms in Scripture, and that's the meaning here. Look at verse 24. Uh, As for the ten horns out of, the, out, of this kingdom, out of this kingdom, ten kings will arise. So you got the same type thing, ten kings. And uh, what kingdom does this beast represent? Well, we're probably going to have to stop here with a, with a little bit of an explanation in this verse, and we'll quit because we have the Lord's Supper. But um, this kingdom is Rome. And Rome possessed a power and a longevity unlike any other kingdom before it uh, that the world's ever known. Nations were crushed by Rome because it was so strong. They talk about the iron iron foot of the Roman Empire. Greece was characterized by speed, but Rome was characterized by its ruthlessness and just destroying civilizations and keeping them down and never allowing them to raise to to a power to be developed again. I mean, they just were horrible in their destruction of civilizations and people. They killed captives by the thousands. They sold hundreds of thousands of of people into slavery. Uh, They just had no regard for people like that. They just destroyed them. They could never get enough of conquest. And this is is how they were. Um, And so they only wanted nations crushed, trampled underfoot. And so Daniel 7.7 accurately describes Rome. Uh, He says, I saw a beast, fourth beast, dreadful, terrifying, extremely strong, and had large iron teeth devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet, different from all the beasts before it it had ten horns. Well, I would go on a little further, but uh, thinking that we need to have the Lord's Supper, we talked about ending at 15 till, so we'll go ahead and close with that. Um, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for this time together and for your word, and we just pray that uh, we'll seek to interpret it correctly and accurately, and, and not only that, but we'll live by it. We just pray this in Christ's name.